the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from beautiful downtown San Antonio. And uh, welcome to our uh, show We've got uh, we've got some great guests today. We've got a very very riveting intro, uh, I- interview with Mr. Don Page from Gonzales, Texas, and Mr. Don Page is going to be chatting with us regarding uh, an issue of election fraud. Yes, election fraud. Can you imagine in Texas? Yes, uh, an issue of election fraud that happened uh, in his community, and uh, an interview that he uh, did. You're going to hear the interview with an individual that uh, had firsthand knowledge of the situation. So uh, that'll be right on, right, right uh, after our uh, opening remarks here. That'll be on the, the segments, the second segment of our show. Uh, I hope you'll, you'll stick around for that, and I hope you'll call your friends because it, it is going to be very, very eye-opening, my friends. We also have Mr. Ira Melman, a uh, very good friend from um, <coughs> FAIR, uh, the Federate, the uh, Federation for uh, uh, American Immigration Reform uh, out of D.C., giving us, giving us an update of what's been going on in D.C. regarding uh, illegal immigration or the efforts to stop it or not stop it, and, uh, and depending on which way you want to look at it. The other person that we're going to have on is uh, Mr. Silvio, Silvio, Can, uh, Silvio Canto, who is uh, a good friend of mar- mine from uh, Dallas. Uh, Silvio also has a uh, podcast that he does in, uh, in the Dallas area. And, uh, Silvio, uh, came to the United States as a, uh, Cuban, as a, uh, Cuban refugee with his family as a little kid. And, um, you know, there's been so much talk about socialism, about, um, uh, how important it is to share the wealth. Well, Mr. Canto has been through that uh, scenario has been has lived his family has lived through uh, the transition from uh, from private ownership to uh, socialism and uh, he's going to explain to us what it's like he's going to give us a a uh, a, a first hand uh, report of what it's like so uh, I hope that you'll stick around for that but uh, let's let's start real quick uh, on um, What's been going? I give you some updates on what's been going on in the world of illegal immigration, uh, my friends. You know, one of the saddest situations that we have seen yet. Uh, there was a, a picture, a, a, uh, a photograph that came out of um, Mexico. One of the uh, Mexican uh, news uh, news outlets down there took a picture uh, this past Tuesday, I believe it was, of the of the body. Of, uh, of a man and his child. We assumed it's his child, but the body of a man and a child uh, wrapped together, holding each other, that had drowned in the, in, the, uh, in the Rio Grande, crossing illegally, of course, crossing illegally, and the body was found on the Mexican side. Uh, of course, immediately there, there was a, uh, an outcry by the liberal media, by uh, the Democrats, and uh, there uh, has uh, been an ongoing drumbeat regarding that situation. There has also been, uh, you know, the uh, the anxiety, the, uh, the the wailing and gnashing of teeth uh, because of the situation uh, of um, some young uh, migrants, as they call them, some young kids uh, brought to the United States illegally that have been in uh, living in 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 squalid conditions in the uh, border patrol 
compounds in the, de- in the detention centers. You know, all of this, my friends, is, it, it, you know, it plays great in Hollywood and it plays great on, uh, uh, on TV. But the fact is that it is so misleading. It is so, so misleading. Let me, let me be very, very blunt. And I hope that you will understand that uh, honesty sometimes hurts. You know, sometimes when somebody tells you you're, you're looking fat, it hurts to hear. You know, well, uh, I'm about to tell you uh, that, uh, you know, this situation that we've got with illegal alien children, my friends, is a concoction of both the media and the political uh, play in Washington, D.C. by Democrats and by some Republicans. We have been encouraging. Yes, we have been encouraging and excusing illegal immigration uh, with children, with children. Okay, adults accompanied by children are families that are not that are not uh, uh, separated and therefore they are not uh, held in compounds or in detention centers very, very long. In fact, the Democrats uh, put forward a uh, bill this past week that uh, that limits the, the amount of time that people are held in detention centers. It limits it. So in other words, my friends, you are ca- you, you cross the border illegally. OK, you break the law, you enter illegally. Uh, you are held in a detention center and then released promptly. OK. And if you are kept uh, for any uh, amount of time, you have got to be kept in 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 stellar situations. You know, contrary to what uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez said that they are concentration camps, my friends. Obviously, she's never been in a concentration camp in Europe. Obviously, she has no idea what she's talking about. She's stupid. Okay, I will say that. At any rate, uh, these uh, detention centers, my friends, they were not meant to hold kids. They were not meant to hold hundreds of kids. They were set up as processing centers for 50, maybe 30 people at the most. Okay. And um, they were temporary shelters. They were temporary holding places whereby the people were deported. Because let's remember, my friends, the vast majority of people that used to come across the border were Mexicans that were promptly deported back to Mexico. These folks are coming thousands of miles, in some cases from Africa, in some cases from Asia, and that we are not uh, able to uh, deport them immediately. The other thing is that we that they are all claiming asylum, so therefore they need hearings. So they are not deported immediately. And so they are held in places where that were not meant to be held. Okay, they were not meant to be held. And again, this whole analogy that somehow they are like uh, the slaves brought to the United States back in the uh, 1800s, 1700s. That is so much bull, my friends. These people come voluntarily. In fact, they pay to come to the United States, unlike black slaves that were forced to come to the United States. My friends, it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy any time that somebody dies, that somebody loses their lives trying to uh, trying to gain a better life. But the fact of the matter is that we must control Im- illegal immigration. We must control the border. And these folks are coming voluntarily. They are endangering themselves and endangering their children. And in doing so, I am not sure how that is the fault of the American citizen. I am not sure how that is the fault of the taxpayer. Think about it, my friends. Let's be very, very honest of it. You know, these folks come on their own free will. And in some cases, they pay. They pay criminal enterprises to bring them here. And once they're here, my friends, they uh, they're not suffering. They're not suffering. We may think that uh, that they are, you know, uh, in concentration camps. But my, my friends, they're not. Once again, my friends, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's take a deep breath and look at reality in the face. We're going to take a, a quick break, and we will be right back uh, in, a little, in, a, in a little bit with the uh, very, very interesting interview uh, with Mr. Uh, Don Page. The first part of the interview is going to be uh, him doing a, uh, an interview of this individual uh, explaining the voter fraud. So uh, don't be taken back. Uh, It is uh, Don Page. It is an interview by him at the first part of it, uh, a recording of his interview with uh, a person who uh, was involved in uh, directly uh, an observer, a witness of voter fraud. 
And uh, then uh, we'll go to the rest of the um, interview with Don telling us and explaining to us what's been going on. So, my friends, thank you for uh, joining us. Please call your friends. Tell them to join us right now. I hope that um, that you will share uh, our uh, our program with folks. And once again, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer. Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. My name is Don Page. I'm the editor of the Come and Take It Press in Gonzales, Texas. Today is May the 10th? 11th. Today is May the 11th. Yes, seven days after it's a Saturday. It is 9.06 p.m. I am here um, doing this recording uh, regarding a ride that was given to... Um, a citizen here of Gonzales who uh, went to vote last Saturday, May 4th, for the mayoral election of May 4th, 2019. Um, for the record, can you state your name? Riley Brown. And uh, Riley, were you, did you contact somebody to give you a ride to go vote? No. So were you contacted by someone? Yes. Who was who was that person that contacted? Joyce Wilson. Joyce Wilson, and uh, so you didn't ask Joyce for a ride. She came soliciting a, a ride for right. you. Okay. Um, did and so she said she'd take you to to the to the election poll. Right. Um, did you go alone with her? No. Who else did you go with? Jason Clark. Jason Clark, and um, when. You were traveling there. Did she give you any of her opinion or state who you should vote for? Yes. And who did she say you should vote for? Connie. Kassir? Kassir. Connie Kassir, our current mayor. Um, and so when you arrived there, um, you're standing here with me. You're, you're a pretty good stature, right? <laughs> you're standing on your own two feet. Right. Um, did she park the car and let you go in and vote? No, she told me to wait in the car. She told you to wait in the car. Mm -hmm. So she asked you to wait in the car, and then she went inside? She went inside. Okay. When she came out, um, was that when she allowed you to go back in and no, vote on your own? they brought the ballots to us. So they, they brought the ballots to you're us? You're right. So she went in, so it's your understanding, she went inside and said that you were unable to come inside and vote? I guess. Right. It's, yeah, a, it's yeah, an assumption, yeah. right? Yeah, it's my assumption being they bought the ballots out. Bring the ballots <laughs> That's a good assumption, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so she, they brought the ballots in, and did she leave the vehicle and let you have time to vote on your own? No. She stayed inside the she vehicle? Stayed, she was inside the vehicle. Okay. During the time that you and Mr. Clark were um, voting, did she give any any suggestions on how you should make that vote that was on the ride there on the ride there yeah when you were actually making the vote she didn't yeah, she didn't no. say anything but her expectations were you were voting for the person that she right, suggested right. okay which again was connie kassir mm -hmm. okay now um after you made your vote um you handed the ballot back over to the person back to the lady she was at i was just sitting in the back and she was at the back window and i gave it to her okay and then um, y'all drove off. Did you stop anywhere? No. 
you came straight home? Straight home. Okay. At that time, did uh, did Joyce Wilson offer you anything? Did she say, would you like to stop anywhere no. or give you any kind of compensation? No. No to either of those? No. Okay. All right. And uh, are you aware of um, Mr. Clark? Did she offer Mr. Clark anything in the car at that time? No. Not, no. That, I, yeah, no, not that I heard of. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your time again. Um, I appreciate you um, doing this recording with me and mm-hmm. helping me um, get further in this in in um, the paper that I'm the what I'll be writing and, and sharing okay. regarding this election. Thank mm-hmm. you for your time. All right, folks. This is uh, George Rodriguez at Conservador, and we've got Don Page live now. And uh, Don is the uh, gentleman that had, uh, recorded that did the recording. And uh, we wanted to uh, get him to uh, elaborate a little bit more and tell us uh, about what has happened and what has been going on since that recording. So, Don, welcome to the show. Tell us, what has been going on uh, in Gonzales? And again, Don uh, runs a uh, small conservative newspaper, the Gonzales Come and Take It, uh, in, uh, in Gonzales, and he has... Uh, uh, he has suffered some pushback. So, so Don, talk to us. Tell us what's been going on. Absolutely. Uh, so, so thank, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. And and uh, yes, we've been we've been facing a big challenge here with our elected officials and how the process happens for them to um, into their positions of power. Um, this is this is not a new issue, but uh, definitely this last election. It has uh, just been very blatant in the way that they proceeded. Uh, this recording is just one of many people that I've interviewed, and I'd say probably about a half a dozen who had very similar situations as far as how they were approached, brought to the voting pool. Um, in fact, I just uh, had an interview last night with a with a gentleman who the person who was managing. The, the vote came out with the paper and pointed to where they needed to mark for their mayoral spot. Um, so, I mean, it was very blatant how our how our how our mayor got her position this in this last election. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to me with my background in in statistics um, in accounting. Um, we had two things on our voter ballot. Uh, the first thing that, of course, was the mayor for this for this election. The second, we had a bunch of charter changes, and the person who got seventy votes had three people who voted for him who didn't vote for charter items. The person who had four hundred ninety votes had only five people not vote for charter items. Our mayor, who won the election, had 89 people who voted just for her and didn't vote on any of the other issues that were on that vote that vote for this year that were up for vote this year. So when you say that, that, yeah, when you say that they didn't that that there were no votes, that means just votes for her, and they completely ignored the uh, other a, other rest of the ballot. ballot. Yeah, with the rest of the ballot. Items. Gotcha. And. 89 people only voted for her and nothing else. Gotcha. And that, to me, is a statistic that's a result from this kind of behavior where they grab somebody who wasn't going to vote but was registered, pick them up, take them to the voting booth, make them stay in the car, go inside, tell them that this person needs curbside service, although they're completely physically able to go in and vote on their own, keeps them in the car and monitors them in the voting process to make sure they vote for a specific candidate. Amazing. And that, ha- that happened so many times this, during this election. And there's video, we have photographs of it happening, where the person who, who drove them there stayed in the car and watched them vote. That would be like me walking you to the ballot box and then sitting there and watching you vote, vote to make sure I know you voted the right way. Correct. Amazing, amazing. Now, 
this type of situation also impacted this situation also impacted on your first amendment rights as a as a journalist as a as a news uh uh, outlet because um, you took on City Hall and City Hall has responded by cutting off uh, advertising, correct? Yes. Um, we had a similar issue prior to this mayoral election regarding a rollback election. And the city council denied the people a vote for for the rollback two years ago. Um, we had to take it all the way to district court the second time when they tried to deny the roll back and finally get a get an election. As I was reporting on it and explaining to the people their rights, city council did not like the fact that I was I was sharing that information and underhandedly went to businesses that were supporting our newspaper that I was publishing this information in and those advertisers chose to stop produce or stop promoting our paper and some some of them expressed a concern that they just didn't feel that if they continued supporting my paper that the relationship with the city could continue as a biz, as a business owner wow now um that that of course wasn't something they made up it was something they were told And so, and I know from people who've shared with me off the record that there were city council officials that basically walked into their establishment and said, you know, if you keep doing business with him, we might not be able to do business with you. Amazing. So, in fact, one of my biggest supporters got a visit from three different city officials, um, including. Uh, she was doing an expansion on her building, and so she had a city inspector come in and really rake her over the coals, and it was not anything that she had done. I mean, you know, every other business is operating the same way here in this small town, but they gave her a bunch of extra things that she had to do to be in compliance, and um, businesses next to her that weren't supporters of mine growth and, and made changes without having to get any inspections handled. So it's it's very biased on, who, you know, they're p- picking who, who they want to go after, and that's a way to get them to calm down and not support anything that's anti-establishment. So the, the establishment has literally gone after you, um, has literally gone after you both politically, well, not, and not, not necessarily you, uh, personally, although it is the economics, but uh, they control politically as well as economically. I mean, there could. Not, I mean, it's very, very obvious. Uh, here in the last uh, minute or so, uh, what uh, do you plan to do? What can be done uh, in this kind of situation? Because this kind of situation, we can find it in virtually every community in Texas and probably the United States. So, what what do you see as a solution? What do you think can, should happen? Keep fighting. <laughs> you know that's that's really the the only choice that we have at this at this point is is keep keep uh, giving the truth. So one one of the choices that we've made is to uh, move to a digital format, um, utilizing social media, uh, utilizing the internet as a uh, sounding board instead of more traditional newspapers that we were um, providing to conservative-minded people in the Gonzales County area. Now we have to rely on social media to get our word out. And that's exactly what we're doing. You know, um, we started a ground roots organization among some of the conservative business owners to start to watch those that are supposed to be on our watch. Um, we're attending the city council meetings, really um, researching the choices that they're making. Uh, there's a lot of lot of um, inner politics that have happened over the last couple months, um, or this past year actually, um, including our city shutting down its um, operational side 
of the electric grid here in the, we had our own city electric and now it's being farmed out to a co-op and that co-op was one of the biggest sponsors of the political action committee that fought us against the rollback in this last election as well wow. so it's you know it's you have to you have to find inexpensive ways to bring out the truth and word of mouth, you know, you, uh, you just keep, you know, they, as they say, the truth will set you free. And eventually, I know the truth will set us free. Hey, Don. We have to keep yeah. sharing it. Yeah, Don, we need to, uh, we need to, to uh, uh, cl- conclude now. But um, uh, let's get you on on the show. I need to get you back on in, 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 in another couple of weeks and, and do some follow-up on this. Because this is the kind of story that we really, really need to uh, share uh, across the uh, across the, the the region and and the state and the country for that much, but uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's Don Page from Gonzales with the uh, Come and Take It uh, uh, newsletter or, or I don't or what do you call it? It's the Come and Take It Press, and uh, we're we're on Facebook and uh, www.cattypress.com. You got it. Thank you very much, Don. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP. The Answer, 930 AM radio here in San Antonio. And we've got uh, a very uh, special guest with us today. He's been on before. Uh, Mr. Ira Melman, who is the uh, media director for the Federation for American Re- Immigration Reform, or FAIR, uh, in Washington, D.C. And I wanted to reach out to him because uh, they publish a, a uh, monthly newsletter. And I wanted to get uh, their perspective of uh, what is happening on the border, their, an update of what, uh, what they see. Because, uh, well, of course, we all know that things move very, very quickly uh, about, uh, what happens on the border. So Ira, welcome to the show. Once again, um, tell us, uh, what, um, what is fair reporting? What is fair saying? Well, you know, what is happening at the border is pretty much the same as what has been happening now for the past year or so. Uh, the border is being inundated and it's being inundated because we have laws that simply don't make sense anymore in this day and age. Uh, you have people massively abusing our political asylum system. The, you know, in spite of the fact that everybody acknowledges that most of the people who are coming across are not legitimate asylum seekers, we simply cannot get to any kind of political consensus in Washington to make the necessary changes. And, you know, now that the Democrats control the House of Representatives, it's even less likely. And by the way, the, the Republicans had control of both houses for two years. Uh, they didn't get the job done. Uh, it's less likely now. Uh, you know, we're seeing that, you know, even in the Senate, where Republicans still have the majority, uh, the the president asked for a supplemental appropriation to deal with the with the border crisis, and the only thing that they are funding is money for uh, the care and feeding of the people who are coming across, which of course has to happen. You know, if we are uh, if we're admitting them, we obviously have some obligations, uh, but nothing uh, to deter people from coming across that border illegally. Uh, no additional detention space, no additional border security, no additional border patrol agents. Uh, it is simply trying to manage the problem. I mean, essentially, you know, it's like the captain of the Titanic sending a radio message, send more buckets. Uh, it, it's not going to do the job. Uh, and we're, we're going to continue to deal with this crisis until somebody in Washington gets serious about making substantive changes. You know, it was really, really outrageous to me to read that uh, they were doing all of this humanitarian, what they willingly call uh, humanitarian aid, uh, this package, this uh, immigration package, but nothing in there. I mean, nothing for uh, for enforcement. Uh, how can we continue to allow this uh, to uh, to to go on with the, with illegal immigration just out of control and not being able to either punish it or deter it or deport it? 
Well, you know, this seems to be an affirmative strategy, particularly on the part of the Democrats. You know, their strategy is to defeat the system by paralyzing the system. If you can flood people into the judicial system seeking political asylum, uh, it backs up the courts. People are here for years and years. They disappear. And the Republicans seem to be acquiescing to this. So, you know, you have one party that has an affirmative strategy, another party that can't figure out what it wants to do. And in the meantime, we are dealing with a crisis that grows worse by the day. Uh, And, you know, this is just from the appropriations end. Appropriations bills uh, can't change policies like our asylum policy and bring it up to date with the realities of 2019. That also needs to be happening. Congress should be able to work on these things simultaneously. On the one hand, appropriate the funds necessary to deter and detain people who are abusing our political asylum system. And on the other hand, make changes to those laws in a way that will deter people from making it clear to people. uh, If you come here with a bogus asylum claim, you're not going to get anywhere. Now, uh, the president was going to... um he had given an order that, uh, you know, the beginning last Sunday, they were supposed to start picking people up. Uh, he's put uh, a two-week hiatus on it. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, you know, if he can somehow strike a deal that includes the kinds of things that I've just been talking about, more border security, detention, and substantive changes to our policies, such as our asylum policy, uh, the overriding a judicial uh, decision that says you can't hold families for more than 20 days, all of these things that have been incentivizing this rush on the border, uh, then it's two weeks well spent. You know, given what we see in Washington, uh, I don't hold out a whole lot of hope. But, you know, if he thinks he can get it done in two weeks, um, you know, I certainly hope that he's right. But I, I suspect that two weeks from now we'll be right back in the same position. I'm, I'm quite spe- skeptical about the whole situation. The other thing the other thing that has been absolutely outrageous was uh, Ocasio-Cortez's, the congresswoman, uh, her comments regarding the uh, the the detention centers that they are con- that they are con- uh, concentration camps. Um, what has, uh, what have you heard or what have you seen regarding that response in Washington? Well, you know, there has been blowback, uh, you know, from members of Congress. Uh, there's certainly been blowback from, uh, you know, people who went through the Holocaust or, or descendants of people who went through the Holocaust, uh, just utterly outraged at, you know, the completely, complete misuse uh, of, you know, that period of history and making just completely invalid comparisons to what is going on now. Here you have a situation where people are coming to the United States attempting to abuse our laws. Uh, we, We are carrying out laws that every country on earth has. Every country on earth has immigration laws. Uh, and, you know, somehow Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is comparing this to what the Nazis did in the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, it, it is utterly outrageous. And people who, you know, have a personal stake in this have every right to feel as though their history is being co-opted for uh, her political advantage. It really is outrageous. The other thing, and I'm wondering if, uh, you know, what, what FAIR has seen about this is um, it it appears that Mexico is taking a few steps uh, to uh, curtail uh, the uh, the illegal immigration entering from, from their southern border. Uh, have you guys, or, or are you seeing anything? Have you uh, reported on any of this? Well, you know, it, it's too early to know just how much uh, effect this will have, uh, or, you know, more importantly, how diligently the Mexicans will carry this out. Uh, but as the president uh, has said, and Vice President Pence has said, uh, you, you know, the irony here is that the Mexicans seem to be doing more, willing to do more to help us deal with this crisis than our own Congress. Uh, Mexico has said that they will add additional troops to their southern border, about 6,000 people, uh, that, you know, they will make make it more difficult for people to transit Mexico illegally on their way to the United States, and also uh, to be more cooperative with the weight in Mexico policy. Uh, and that's one of the most important things that the president has been able to do, is say to people, you know, we're not going to allow you to come into the United States first and then claim political asylum. Uh, if you want to lodge an asylum request, you're going to have to do it in Mexico. And, you know, it takes 
time. The, the system is backed up and you're going to have to wait there. Uh, in the meantime, once you're in Mexico, you are safe from whatever persecution you claim to be fleeing in your home country. Uh, and so it's perfectly legitimate to say to people, you know, you are now beyond the reach of the government that you claim is persecuting you. Uh, you know, unfortunately, our system is overwhelmed and you're going to have to wait in Mexico, not in the United States. Uh, Ira, do you think we have reached a, a, a point where we may not be able to recover uh, our, uh, our control of immigration uh, to uh, our, our ability to uh, repatriate, deport, uh, remove people uh, because of this, uh, this ongoing situation right now? Do you think we've reached, reached a tipping point where we may not be able to recover from this? not in you know being able to repatriate people or do all these other things the, the problem is on capitol hill uh you have a congress that refuses to acknowledge the crisis that exists and to make the necessary changes uh you know it, it is evident to everybody what the problems are but you have uh, political interests now in washington that want to maintain this it, it works to their political advantage uh you know as i mentioned earlier that the strategy seems to be to paralyze the system because if you paralyze the system you get what you want and essentially what the democratic party is moving towards is simply open borders and this is their way of achieving it so um the problem really is in washington not at the border yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, we we see Andrew Cuomo and and uh, and uh, uh, Gavin Newsom uh, taking taking uh, steps to uh, try to give illegal aliens uh, the right to vote, which I think would be another another step in rewarding illegal immigration. Right. Uh, in addition to Washington, the problem is in Albany and Sacramento, and you know, a number of other state capitals where they continue to incentivize illegal immigration and thwart any kind of reasonable effort on the part of the government to enforce the laws. You, you have state and local governments that are actively working to impede the federal government's ability to enforce their immigration laws. So it, it is a political uh, problem, not a you know one of uh, our ability to do this. It, it is simply that you have political leadership in Washington and in various state capitals that are doing their best to prevent the laws from being enforced. Amazing. Ira, uh, tell the folks how, uh, what you can about FAIR and how they can uh, read more and where they can reach you guys. Well, you know, FAIR is a national organization. Basically, the objective is to represent the interests of the American people in immigration policy. The American people are the primary stakeholders, and we try to represent their interests in immigration policy. And if people want to find out more, they can go to the website, which is FAIRUS.org. That's F-A-I-R-U-S dot O-R-G, F-A-I-R-U-S dot org. Ira, thank you very, very much for joining us today. And uh, let's get you back on the on the show uh, again real soon so you can give us an update of what's happening in, in uh, well, uh, the pleasantly named Swamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anytime. Thank you. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. All right, folks, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM, The Answer here in San Antonio. And we've got my very good friend, Silvio Canto, who is on the phone from uh, uh, Dallas. And I wanted to chat with him because uh, earlier today, uh, and this is uh, Saturday, uh, earlier today I had a, the pleasure, I'll say it that way, uh, of chatting with a, uh, a young uh, lady from... Uh, UTSA here in San Antonio, who was adamant, absolutely adamant, that's the only word that I can use, adamant that socialism is a good thing. 
and that socialism is no more different than charity. And um, that, uh, well, you know, I just, um, I, I wasn't in the mood to, to preach and talk, but I thought I, what I would do on the way home, I was thinking about it, and I thought I would call my friend Silvio, whose family has been, uh, is from Cuba originally, and who has lived through uh, socialism. Uh, and I wanted to reach out to him and uh, ask him about it. Re- he, he recently, uh, in fact, I believe it was today, published a uh, an article regarding um, socialism. So I wanted to get him to chat about that. But mostly I want to, I want to first start off. Sylvia, welcome to the show. Um, this young lady uh, has a view of socialism. Please tell us about your family's history and your uh, remembrance and uh, your what your family went through in this uh, situation with socialism in Cuba. Well, thank you very much, George. It's always a great honor to be with you. Um, you know, I, I've run into some young, well, young people like that, or sometimes not that young. I mean, sometimes a little older. And, uh, you know, I sometimes you can talk to them, other times you cannot because they're basically uh, frozen in their viewpoints. But I think this is, uh, you know, this is typical maybe of a person who doesn't really know what socialism is. I think there is a tendency uh, to, to think of socialism as free health care and, uh, you know, uh, maternity leaves or what, you know, some, some, in fact, they often confuse socialism with some of the more liberal ideas that we hear here in the United States, you know, like uh, a guaranteed income, the kinds of things that we've been hearing from some of the Democrat candidates. And I think for a young person, who hasn't been around the block, and I say that with all due respect to the young lady, um, you know, socialism has a, a real captivating effect because socialism basically tells people what they want to hear. Uh, and I think that in, in the case of our family, we saw what socialism and communism has done to Cuba. Because, see, very often the jump from socialism to communism isn't really that, that far. You know, it's, it most people think of socialism as the democrat democratically elected government, and sometimes they are, but it's not that far from communism where uh, it's a more radical dictatorship. But I, I, I would always, you know, I would always, uh, when someone like that comes along, I would always say to them, look, why don't you do this? Why don't you try living in Cuba for about a year? And, or in, in the, well, the old Soviet Union, of course, and just, just live in one of those countries for a year and let's chat again. Because I think what happens is when they get exposed to what real socialism is, I, I think that they they begin all of a sudden to realize just how mistaken they are. And uh, I think also, George, if I may just go on here just a second longer in my answer, I think what we're really seeing in this young woman is the, the sad consequences of some of our education. I mean, it's hard to believe that universities financed by capitalists who contribute to the universities are producing socialists. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, George? Oh, it, it really is. I mean, to me, to me, it's very interesting how the, uh, you know. And again, you're 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 very correct in assuming that this young lady hasn't been around the block. She hasn't. I mean, she is. Uh, she's a college uh, junior there at, at UTSA. Uh, when I probed, you know, have you been abroad? Have you been, you know, someplace where socialism is practiced? Uh, she said no. Of course, she said no. And she, you know, she was adamant she didn't need to and that I was confusing the subject by asking that. Um, uh, the historical factors of it, uh, she completely was, uh, you know, just not knowledgeable of it. That, that's why I was curious. Uh, when your family left Cuba, what what did they leave behind? What had your family, uh, you know, uh, been like? What, what was the family situation like economically before uh, they they left before the uh, the Castro Revolution. Yeah. Well, my father was a banker. Uh, we were not wealthy people. Uh, we were not, you know, the elite wealthy people. My father was a banker. I would argue we were maybe middle class, upper middle class. My father was a banker. He worked at a private bank, private Cuban bank, uh, and we we had a you know a pleasant lifestyle. Cuba was at that time a uh, 
a country of about 7 million people. It's about 10 now. And it was a country that was actually quite prosperous. I didn't say perfect. I said prosperous. It was a country, as I always like to remind anyone who brings this up, I always like to remind them that pre-Castro Cuba had a lot of problems, but no, nobody ever got into a boat and decided to go to Florida, uh, which is something that, you know, uh, Cuba today has. So our, our family, I mean, look, I think my parents would tell you that they had a nice life in Cuba and that they enjoyed it a great deal. And the last thought in their minds uh, was that they would ever have to leave the country because they thought, uh, you know, that Cuba was the perfect place for them to be. And I think for most Cubans, you talk to of their generation, George, that's what they'll tell you, that it was just just a nice little island. Yes, it had some political problems. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. But just as a quick reminder, what you see in Godfather 2 did not happen in Cuba. If you like that movie, it's a great movie. But what you see there of Batista fleeing that night, the way he fled in that movie, that's not how it happened, uh, George. I always like to say that because Godfather 2 has done more harm truth than any other movie that I've ever seen, George. My, under, my understanding from, from talking to uh, some of my Cuban friends, my other Cuban friends, was that uh, a lot of that, um, uh, that transition uh, towards communism, from, so, from, from capitalism to socialism to communism, happened very, very uh, slowly, quietly, but uh, you know, it was like almost being con- constricted by a python in some ways. Right, it was. I mean, the truth is, is that um, most the, the reason that Castro came to power because it was was because of a political crisis, not an economic crisis. Uh, there was no economic crisis in Cuba. Uh, Cuba had public health care. Cuba had private health care. Cuba had a prosperous economy. Had nothing to do with the economy. There was no need for Robin Hood to come in and save the poor or anything like that. Cuba had a very prosperous economy, and it was a political. There was a political vacuum, a political crisis, and Castro came in. Castro never said that he was a communist. Um, there was never any talk of communism. It gradually began to happen, and it happened in in ways that that. You know, we look back at them now, and, and, and we see that he really fooled us. Uh, he, For example, uh, Castro came to the United States in April of 1959, and there's a very interesting uh, interview that he had with Meet the Press. You can see it on YouTube, in which he basically said, I'm not a communist. I don't have any communist ideals. And because a lot of people thought he was, but he denied it. And what they did was gradually they... They began to bring communism in, into the picture. Initially, it was socialism, you know, well, we want to take care of the poor and all of this, but that gradually became communism and a, and a dictatorship. So it was gradual. It was gradual. And I think you're right. It, you know, it was like the, you know, the turtle or whatever it is in the boiling water, whatever the, the example is. And I think, you know, as my parents, I'm sure, uh, would say is, you know, we went to sleep one night in a, uh, you know, uh, not a perfect country, but a, a country that had a lot of future. And we woke up in a communist country, and nobody could figure out how, how did this happen so fast. But it, it was really, uh, it was really amazing how. And you know, there, there were things that, that began to happen. You mentioned that article that I wrote, and I just want to quickly bring it up. It's over at the American Thinker, if anybody wants to check it out. And it's called La Cola. La Cola, L-A-C-O-L-A, two words, La Cola. La Cola is a slang, a Cuban slang for a line. And anytime you're in a line, you're in La Cola. And one of the first things that we began to see in Cuba was food lines. And they were food lines because they had to ration food because they began to attack the private enterprise that, that fed the Cuban people. And, and so you had these lines, and today, so many years later, they still have the lines. In fact, the lines are worse now than ever. So that's what communism and socialism will do. It fills you with a lot of, you know, it tells you that this is good and this is good. And if, you know, like you said, charity, that's exactly what it does. Many people even try to confuse socialism with Christianity. It's not, it's not, not at all, but they try to say, well, you love your brother, you take care of your brother. And, you know, I understand that. But very often you end up, uh, what you end up with, destroying the people who produce and rewarding the people who don't produce. And that's what often happens in socialist countries. They may not be dictatorships, but they provide so many benefits for people that uh, you destroy the incentive to work, George. Uh, you know, uh, here at the la- last part of our, of our, of our interview, 
uh, watching what 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 is happening right now, particularly with the Democratic Party, what they are preaching, what they are, you know, Bernie Sanders's comments and and uh, statements. Uh, what what would you tell uh, young people? What would you tell Americans right now? I would say, uh, you know, I would say Bernie Sanders is pulling your leg. He's just telling you what he's basically telling you what he wants to hear, what you, he thinks you want to hear. I think they're they're exploiting the natural optimism. I mean, young people, let's face it, you and I are a couple of old guys. But when we were younger, you know, we had, so, you know, we I think it was Churchill who said when you're when you're young, you, you can be a socialist. But when you get older, you have to be a conservative or something like that, that he said. I think a lot of these young people at his rallies are really eating up all this stuff that he's saying. But it's all a big lie. It's never going to happen, for one thing. It's never going to happen. And in socialized medicine or Medicare for all, none of that is ever going to happen. And even if you go to Canada where they have this, and Canada is a democratic country, even if you go to Canada and you talk to Canadians, they'll tell you that, yeah, we have free, you know, we have health care. It's not free. They pay for it on taxes. But, you know, they'll tell you, yeah, it's, we, we have access to health care, but sometimes we have to wait six weeks or eight weeks, ten weeks for an operation and, and, and so on. So what I would say to young people is what Bernie Sanders is saying, what this young woman, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what even uh, Elizabeth Warren is saying, this is really just a bunch of crap to to get your attention, but they're never going to be able to carry this out. And I would have a lot more respect for Bernie Sanders if he sold the mansions that he has and gave that money to charity. If he did that, <laughs> then maybe I'll take him seriously, George. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Tell the folks how they can uh, follow up on reading more of your of your writings and, and listening to your blog. Well, we have uh, the, the, the book that I wrote is Cubanos in Wisconsin which is the story of our family coming to the United States. But what I would encourage you to do is just go to uh, the Internet and, and, you, and you put Canto, C-A-N-T-O, talk, T-A-L-K, and you'll see my blog and, and you'll see the, the podcast. And in my blog, or you can also see the stuff that I do at American Thinker. I've been fortunate to publish things at American Thinker. It's a very popular website uh, with conservatives. Uh, it's a real honor for me to to be featured there, and I I I, I got to tell you the story, George, with American Thinker, and uh, I've been writing there for about five years. Uh, I've reconnected because of that with so many of my high school friends, and I'm I'm so happy to report that most of my high school friends, with the exception of one, have turned out to be pretty good conservatives as they got older, <laughs> even some of the ones who were liberal. So there is hope. Young lady, George. Fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, Silvio, for being on the, on our show. We'll talk to you again soon. My pleasure, George. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.